We are continuing today our collection of sermons called When God Asks. When God Asks. And the premise of the series is a lot of times we focus on what God says and what God commands in Scripture, but we don't always listen for the questions that God may be asking. And when we talk about what God commands and what God says, a lot of times it's not in a very engaging way. It, it feels as if it's a master-slave type of thing, right? But what God does a lot throughout Scripture is that God engages us. And God asks questions of God's people throughout Scripture. And so over the course of these next few weeks, we're going to be talking about some of these questions. We're going to look at um, the ways in which God engages His people to transform them, but to also transform the world. And last week, like I said, this series may be a challenge for us because we love certainty and black and white and to have everything figured out and to have God figure it out, right? But what this series is going to do is going to push us and challenge us to take a hard look within, to look within ourselves, and to do something with what God asks of us. So today, we're going to talk about the question that Jesus asks, do you love me? Do you love me? Valentine's weekend. (laughs) Love is a big deal, right? We all want to feel loved. We all want to give love. Companies want to make money off of love, right? If we're honest, right? We see all the pink and red and white going up around town, right? It's it's a big thing. There are entire TV channels (laughs) devoted to year-round movies about falling in love, right? All that says to me is that this thing is extremely important. So I want you for a moment, just where you are, wherever you're watching online, just close your eyes for a moment. I know last week I had y'all do this, oh gosh, she always wants us to close our eyes. Yes. <laughs> Use your imagination. Close your eyes for a moment. And I want you to envision a moment when you first felt loved. Envision a moment when you first felt loved. Now, envision a moment when you first fell in love. Envision a moment when you first fell in love. Now, finally, envision a moment when you felt you gave love the best that you knew how. Envision a moment when you felt that you gave love the best you knew how. can open your eyes. I hope that conjures up some pleasant memories for you, some things that you maybe needed to recall. This is a popular song, right? Jackie DeShannon, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing that there's just too little of, right? 
Now, the news headlines and, you know, social media would have us really believe this, right? And it makes us question that humanity, do we really love one another? And in some ways, is humanity even worth loving, <laughs> right? But I think in addition to saying that, yes, we need more love in this world because it seems like there's not a lot of it going around, I also think the challenge for us is to recall love, to remember it more. Through this past year of me going through the grief process when I lost my father, um, I, I heard this quote, and it's been attributed to several different people, but it says that grief is the price we pay for love. Grief is the price that we pay for love. And what I'm learning throughout this process is, like, it's easy to recall what I should have said, what I should have done, what I would have said, what I would have done, what could have been, right? And you start to get into this place of regret and thinking back on all the things that you wish you could have done better. What I also realize is that it took more work, and it continues to take work for me, to remember moments of love to remember the stories that my parents told of how my father cared for me. It's a story I posted about a couple weeks ago, um, or last week. Um, and there's this picture of my mom and my dad and myself as a baby. I think I was maybe one, and we were in New York City. So apparently, in 1989, 1990, somewhere around there, there was like the spree of kidnappings. And so, at the time, this was not a popular thing, but my dad had one of those baby leashes on, and so he would refuse to, like, let me get off of that leash, and he held me close this entire time, and there's this really beautiful photo. I wish I had it, but there's this really beautiful photo of just him, like, hold, gripping me on this boat. And he always used to tell that story, and I always used to be like, okay, enough. I've heard it a thousand times, <laughs> you know? But it's just this reminder, and I think looking back on that story, it was he was recalling love. He was recalling a moment when he loved the best that he knew how in that moment to protect his child, to protect his family, right? And so I think about the disappointment and the grief that the disciples were experiencing after Jesus' death and even after his resurrection. And so I want to look for a few moments at John chapter 21, I want to read verses 4 to 17 to really see how the love of God is coming out in the story and how Jesus is showing love for his disciples. So John chapter 21, verses 4 to 17. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, have you no fish? Children, you have no fish, have you? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net to the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked, and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, only about a hundred yards off. And when they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it 
and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come, have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared to ask, who are you? Because they knew that it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that the disciples, that that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Jesus said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And Peter said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. You know, it's one of the most annoying things. Um, When I go to the movie theater and I go particularly to watch a Marvel movie, And at the end of the movie, it has obviously a lot of great endings for these movies. But if we've had so many Marvel movies up to this point, you should know to stay in your seat until the credits roll. Because usually there's something else after the credits. And so it really bugs me and annoys me when people waste their money. I don't know why. Like, it's, it's not coming out of my pocket, but it annoys me. Because I'm like, would you just stay and watch the rest of the... It will not kill you to wait five to ten minutes. I don't know why I'm so bothered by that. Um, but that, it, it's so beautiful to just wait after the credits to see like these extra little nuggets and these Easter eggs of things that you could wait for for the next movie or for the next TV series, right? I love that about those movies. I love waiting in anticipation. Sometimes I wait for movies that I know don't have them just in case, right? Why did I take it on that rabbit trail? John chapter 21 is like an extra credit scene in the book of John. It's an epilogue, right? So it's the book of John in chapter 20, it ends by saying there are so many other things that we could say about Jesus that we just don't have time to put it all in this book. And then comes chapter 21, that is this really beautiful encounter with Jesus and his disciples. And this epilogue really echoes the experiences that they had when they were together. This chapter also points to the mission of the disciples in the world and and the work of the church to come. And and that's the thing that I love most about this chapter is that it has all of these callback references to their experiences with Jesus. The love of God is echoing in this moment, and it's reverberating within their lives and with this experience with Jesus. And I want to point out three of those callbacks today. The first one that we can observe is the casting of the net, right? This harkens back to their first encounter with Jesus when he's calling his first disciples 
and he beckons them to come and follow him. When Jesus says, come, have breakfast, that's a call back to saying, come and follow me. Jesus, at the time, saw potential in them when he first called them. And now in this moment, Jesus continues to see potential in them to do the work of ministry in the world. And so for us, I'm wondering, how can we recall God and remember the love of God calling us to live and to come and experience a life of fullness in God? The second callback is when they're eating the fish and they're eating the bread. This echoes two um, pictures in the Gospels. One, when Jesus is feeding the 5,000 or the multitude, right? And they have a little bit of bread and a little bit of fish, but Jesus makes this little meal go a long way. And then the other thing that it harkens to is the Last Supper. When Jesus is sitting with his disciples and he breaks bread with them and he takes the wine and he blesses it and he says, whenever you eat this, remember me. These both are scenarios, and Jesus is calling to mind here that God is the one who provides, that the love of God is is the thing that sustains us and that provides for us when we need it the most. And God provides out of love. God's grace is abundant out of love. So Jesus calls back to casting the net, and then he makes a call back with eating and breaking bread with his disciples. And the third thing that he calls back to is when he uses these three questions, Peter, do you love me? Jesus here is calling back a lot of scholars' notes to his three denials. Just before Jesus goes to the cross, people see Peter and his disciples, and they say, hey, ain't you one of his followers? And he's like, I ain't got nothing to do with that man. And he's like, no, no, we've we seen you with him before. Listen, I, I don't know him. And the third time, listen, I don't know the man. And Jesus said to Peter, before the rooster crows three times, you are going to deny me. And it came to pass. What I love about, scholars call this the rehabilitation of Peter. And what I love about this is that for every transgression, the love of God beckons us. For every time that we have wronged, the love of God says that that is not your defining story. God's mercies, like we say, are new every morning, and the forgiveness for us never runs out. And what I also love about the way that Jesus asks these three questions is that he has a different uh, a retort every time Peter answers, and he says, yes, you know I love you, Lord. I think about how this question, do you love me, will come to us at different times and different seasons of our lives. That the way in which we answer that question may look differently when we're 12, when we're 22, when we're 72. And it is a challenge to us to never sit back and just think that, well, God, no, I, I love God. And, and you know, that's, it, that is, that's all that it is. That is a constant call for us to live out and to affirm that love that God gives us. Do you love me? Jesus asks. This is not a question of condemnation or a, a trap, right? Um, fellas, trigger warning. So you know that times when you're sitting on the couch with, you know, your significant other and they're just like, um, y'all, let's say y'all just watching Wheel of Fortune, right? No big deal. All of a sudden she turns to you and asks, hey, can I ask you a question? 
you already got red flags going up, right? And then she turns, she says, you love me? What are we? How do you feel about us right now? And you're going, you're like working out the math and all types of scenarios of how to answer this question correctly because you could very well be in the doghouse. Listen, don't do that this weekend. The Super Bowl is this weekend too, right? Listen, don't get yourself in no problems this Valentine's weekend. But Jesus does not ask the question in this kind of way. This is not a question of insecurity. This is not a question of theoretics, right? This is not a question of condemnation. Jesus is asking Peter three times because this is a manifestation of God's unconditional love. That when God asks, do you love me? It is not God standing over you with arms crossed, making sure that you say the right thing, but it is a God who is running towards us with open arms. Bishop Michael Curry, who is the presiding bishop of the Episcopal Church in the United States, um, he's, he has such an amazing mission in this season of his life. Um, his mission really over the last few years has been about talking about the way of love, the way of Jesus' love. And he actually, in 2020, during the pandemic, wrote a book about it. But he has made this his life's goal to help us to understand just how transformational the love of Jesus is in our lives. And you might also remember Bishop Curry from preaching at the royal wedding for Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. And this sermon, I mean, went viral, and people were so amazed by this message. And I want to play a bit of it and then come back and talk a little bit. Let's take a look. Well, there were some old slaves in America's antebellum South who explained the dynamic power of love and why it has the power to transform. They explained it this way. They sang a spiritual, even in the midst of their captivity. It's it's one that says there is a balm in Gilead, a a healing balm, something that can make things right. There is a balm in Gilead to make the wounded whole. There is a balm in Gilead to heal the sin-sick soul. And one of the stanzas actually explains why they said, If you cannot preach like Peter, and you cannot pray like Paul, you just tell the love of Jesus, how he died to save us all. Oh, that's the bomb in Gilead. This way of love, it is the way of life. They they got it. He died to save us all. He He didn't die for anything he could get out of it. Jesus did not get an honorary doctorate for dying. He, he, he didn't, he wasn't getting anything out of it. He gave up his life. He sacrificed his life for the good of others, for the good of the other, for the well-being of the world, for us. That's what love is. Love is not selfish and self-centered. Love can be sacrificial and in so doing becomes redemptive. And that way of unselfish, sacrificial, Redemptive love changes lives, and it can change this world. That is so beautiful. Um, There's a few things I really love. I encourage you to go on YouTube and watch that full message. It it was so beautiful. There's a few things I love about that. One, um, the British reaction to that (laughs) is just chef's kiss. Like... I just, they were just like, who 
allowed the preacher from coming to America to preach at this wedding. Right, like it just was, <laughs> it was just such a like shocking like reaction to it. But you know what I find powerful about that shock to it is the way, first of all, the way that Bishop Curry talks expansively about love. That he takes it outside. Yes, there's a couple getting married, but he takes it wider into to talking about the antebellum South and talking about slavery and the expansiveness of what the love of God has done throughout time. And that discomfort that we see, I think we see it sometimes in our lives as well. That that discomfort comes from a sense of understanding this, something the love of God is challenging me to, that I might, I might not be ready for, that I might not really be ready for it to push me to do. It reminds us of the depth and the implication of following this way of love. Jesus responds every time to Peter, feed my sheep, tend to my sheep, feed my lambs. That is, do something now that you have experienced this love. And that is why we as Christians evangelize, right? We don't, we don't do evangelism just so that we can have another check mark to say, okay, well, we got another one into heaven or so we can fill um, butts in the seats, right? That's not the point of evangelism. The point is this love transforms us in such a way that if it really and truly means something to us, why would we not share that with others? Why would we keep this gift of love to ourselves? Notice Peter's answer as I begin to wrap up. Notice what he says every time Jesus says, do you love me? He says, Lord, you know I love you. Translation, God know my heart. God, you know. You know, right? I mean, I got to say it every time. You know I love you. I ain't really got to do nothing for that, right? You know I love you. And I think Jesus' response is really like, yeah, I know. But do you know? if you love me. I'm fully aware, but are you certain that you love me? And this is a challenge, again, for us to take a look within ourselves and to take inventory. Are we loving God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, and are we loving our neighbor to the same degree? So friends, how is the voice of God, the love of God reverberating within the cathedral of your life? How is it singing the song that calls you to a home that is love? Let's pray. The hymn writer says, Oh, love that will not let me go. I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe that in its ocean depths its flow may richer, fuller be. Lord, we realize that there are times in our lives where we don't feel love from others where love seems to be in short supply in our world. But the greater truth that we hold on to is that your love never runs out.
The greater truth is that you continue to show up in our lives and in this world with grace and mercy in the places and the times where it seems we don't deserve it. May you remind us, O oh God, and call to us and sing to us that song of love that beckons us to come home to you. For you are not the God who just acts in love, but you are the God whose very essence is love. That that is who you are and that is your name. So, Lord, as we prepare to come to your table now, we, may we come with open hearts, hearts knowing that there is love at this table and that we would leave from this table leading with the love that you have shown us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.